If you've got your Bibles with you this morning and you want to follow along, you can take them and open them up to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, and we will be in verses 1 through 16. Um, Genesis chapter 4, we open a new chapter today, and the title of our lesson is The Story of Cain. The Story of Cain. Now, as we come to the fourth chapter, things begin to move uh, very quickly. The first three chapters, we've uh, mostly been involved with creation and Adam and Eve and and everything that goes on with that. But as we come to chapter 4, things begin to kind of get rolling. And and chapter 4 is going to introduce us to a lot of firsts. We're going to see the first birth. We'll see the first sibling. We'll see the first sacrifice. We'll see the first crime. We'll move on to the first city, the first of a lot of different things. But this first section that we're going to cover in verses 1 through 16 is all about the first son. So this is going to be the story of Cain. Now, he is the focus of these first 16 verses. In fact, his name is mentioned 14 times in these verses. So there's no doubt that he is the focus, which is kind of an odd thing. Abel, the righteous man, is really only mentioned very little. Cain gets a whole lot of, um, of, of, of airtime, so to speak. Uh, in that. And you may ask, well, why so much focus on him? Well, Cain is told to give us the story of the first unbeliever. He is the first doomed sinner. He is the prototype of a doomed person. There will never be any repentance in his life. Uh, Cain, uh, just to kind of give you the ending, will die and go to hell. There's no repentance. The New Testament tells us he was of his father the devil. I mean, so Cain is this story of the first doomed Center. Now, the story doesn't open like that. It, it opens as, as it always does with the birth of a child with a lot of hope. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now in the Hebrew language, the word Cain, which is Cain, carries the idea of a craftsman. Uh, it can mean uh, it can refer to a craftsman who makes something, or it can refer to something that is made by a craftsman. So Cain literally means something that is formed or made. So so Eve clearly understands that God is involved in this process. She clearly understands that it is God who has empowered uh, her to get pregnant and have this child. It is God who has formed this this child in her womb and, and given it life. She, she clearly gets this. She says, I have gotten this child with the help of the Lord. Now, as with every child, Cain, of his birth, of course, comes with a lot of joy. But I want you to remember, it was promised to Adam and Eve that one of her male heirs, that God would raise up one of her male heirs to bruise the head of the serpent. You guys remember that, okay? So, so, and, and so she's, she's expecting this male heir. So it makes, it's perfectly reasonable that she would have ex- maybe expected this might be him. As I said last, last week, she says, I have gotten him. Maybe she means I've gotten the one. This is the male heir that, that God has, has promised 
uh, to redeem and to save us. So not only does it begin her this story begin with joy, but it begins with, begins with a lot of hope as as well. And it only uh, gets better. Look at verse two. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. Now Abel's got an interesting name in the Hebrew. His word n- means a breath or a vapor which is fairly prophetic, right? Because he's only going to be on this earth for a very short time. And so that's kind of a prophetic name. Now, as, as time moves on and these boys grow up, they migrate toward professions that in that day would have been necessary for life. One is a farmer and the other is a shepherd. Okay, So that's just things in that day you would have needed. But this is where the hopefulness will end. It doesn't take long for these boys' true character to be revealed. And interestingly enough, the revelation of their character becomes clear in an act of worship. It doesn't come, become clear in a, you know, when they're out working. It doesn't become clear in a, in a family environment. It actually becomes clear in an act of worship. Now, I want to point out something this morning that is always true or can be true about unbelievers. Unbelievers are not irreligious. That's not the problem. Okay? The problem is they bring unacceptable worship. Okay? We're going to see that. You see, generally speaking, unbelievers throughout history have been very religious. In fact, I would say the human race is incurably religious. We are created to worship, right? We know that. And so there's something inside of us that has to worship. If you go to the darkest corner of the, of the, of the planet and you go to some jungle and you, you uncover some tribe, I guarantee you they will be worshiping something. Now they may be worshiping a rock, they may be worshiping a stump, they may worship the moon and the stars, or they may worship themselves. But I'm going to tell you, there will be worshiping something. There's something in human beings that we have to attach our worship to something. So people are religious. Cain was religious. See, the problem is not that they're not religious. The problem is their worship that they bring is unacceptable, as we'll see. Now let's look at verses 3 through 4. In the course of time... now. Let's stop right there. We don't know how much time has gone by. I can tell you that it's less than 130 years. We'll learn that next week. But they could be 100 years old. Remember, Adam lived to be 900. People in that day lived a long time. We'll get into this more next week. So these boys could be 50. They could be 70. They could be 100. We don't know how much time has gone by. We do know they're not little toddlers. They're mature to, to go out and raise crops. They're, they're old enough to do that. They're old enough to be farmers and shepherds. So they're not little babies. But we don't know how much time has gone by. All the Bible tells us is in the course of time. So in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Now, I'll, this is an important question. Why did they do this? What, what makes them at some point decide, you know what, we need to bring an offering to God? Well, let me tell you, I don't think they just dreamed this up on their own. I don't think they're sitting around talking one day and saying, you know, you know God, we, we probably need to bring something to Him 
so He don't destroy us or something. I don't think that's what's going on. I believe that God had given them adequate instructions on what they were to do. Let me say it again. I believe God had given them adequate instructions on what they were to do. Now, He might have done that through their parents. Adam and Eve might have told them what they need to do. Or they, he, God might have done it Himself. But I believe they had been told what to do. Now, you may say to me, if you're sitting there looking at your Scripture, you may say, well now, aren't you just speculating? There, there's nothing in there that tells them that tells us that they knew what to do. Well, if we only had the Old Testament, you would be right. But we do have one scripture in the New Testament that talks about Abel. And this is found in Hebrews 11.4. And I want you to listen to what it says. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, I want you to notice what it says. By faith, he did it. It wasn't an accident. It was by faith. Now, how, you may say, well, how, how does that tell us that he knew what to do? Well, what is Romans ten seventeen? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. See, you can't have faith in something you've never heard of. You can't obey in something somebody's never told you to do. You could, I guess, but it would just be an accident, right? Or it'd be a coincidence. But to do something by faith, you have to hear it and then walk in it. And it tells us, by faith, Abel offered to God a a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. See, faith, we covered this last week. Faith is believing God's Word and obeying it. How could Abel sacrifice in faith if nobody had ever told him what to do? Everybody with me? So I think it's pretty clear. God had said, this is the type of sacrifice that you are to bring to to me. So they both bring an offering, but God's response to their offering is very different. Look at verses 4 and 5. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Now, there's two questions here we could ask. We could ask, what is right with Abel's offering? Or we could ask, what is wrong with Cain's offering? I could, I could ask and answer these questions either way. But because these verses are about Cain, as I said, his name is mentioned 14 times in 17 verses. This is about Cain. I'm going to ask the question this way. What was wrong with Cain's offering? I'm going to give you three things that was wrong with it. And I'm going to tell you up front, the third one is the, by far, the most important. Okay? The first, re, first thing that was wrong with his offering is that it was not his best. It was not his best. I want you to go back and look at verse 3 if you've got it open there in front of you. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Okay, now I want you to notice here, there is nothing said about the nature of the offering. It doesn't tell you that he brought the first fruits of the crop. It doesn't tell you it brought, he brought the worst or the best. It doesn't say anything about it, right? It just says he brought of an offering. So there's really not much there It can tell us, but I want you to contrast that with what it says about Abel and his offering. Abel, it doesn't say Abel brought of his flock. It says Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. In other words, put it in plain English, he he brought the fattest of the firstborn of his flock. He brought the fattest of the firstborn of his flock. In other words, the author here, Moses, goes out of his way 
to tell us that Abel brought the very best that he had. In contrast, Cain, it just says he brought the fruit of the ground. See, I think that language is saying something to us. He, he wants us to know that Abel gave his best while Cain did not. You see, one goes out of his way to please God. Here's the very best I've got. The other one, eh, I, I got to do this. I'm just fulfilling a duty. I'll bring something. You know, I got to do it. I mean, it's pretty clear that he's not bringing his best. Number two, Cain's heart is not right. Cain's heart is, is not right. Abel goes out of his way to please God, but there's something wrong with Cain's heart. And you may say to me, well, now wait a minute, how do you know that? Well, we know it because Scripture plainly tells us. Go back and look at verses 4 and 5. And the Lord had, and I want you to notice the word and, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. You see, language explicitly mentions both the man and the offering. You see, basically saying God had regard for Abel. That means he accepted Abel's heart. He accepted Abel's spirit, his faith, his attitude, his motivation. See, he accepted the man and he accepted his sacrifices. But for Cain, he had no regard. See, that means God, there was something wrong with, with Cain's motivation. There was something wrong with his attitude. There was something wrong with his heart, with his spirit. And God rejected both him and his sacrifice. Now, this tells us very early on, guys, the heart matters. Now, we'll know this later in Psalms 51. David, after he has sinned, says this to God, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You'll not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. See, the heart always matters. It's not about just doing what all the prescribed things. It's about the heart. And there was something wrong with Cain's heart. So the first two things, Cain's, it's not his best. He didn't bring his best. There's something wrong with his heart. But this third reason is more important than the other two combined. And that is this, it was not a blood sacrifice. It was not a blood sacrifice. We saw in our lesson last week, if you were here, if not, you can catch it on the podcast, that God, when He killed an animal to clothe Adam and Eve, that He was instituting the principle of substitutionary death atonement, that an innocent creature has to die to cover the shame and the guilt and the sin of a man or a woman. He's already instituted that, and I believe he's told both Abel and Cain, this is what I require. But Cain just comes and completely blows that off and says, here's some, here's some fruit, or here's some, here's some potatoes, or here's some corn. See, there, he has, there's nothing in him that's recognizing that I have sin that needs to be atoned for. Nothing. Now li- listen, see, his, his offering is a self-righteous one. He's bringing what he's produced. Here I am, God, look what I've done. You don't, you don't need all that blood stuff. That's, that's so old-fashioned. That's so archaic. Here's what I've done. Here's my works. See, there's no knowledge of his need for atonement. By the way, this is the first example of false religion. That is the very first example of false religion. See, that's what false religion always does. It brings to God what we've produced with no recognition that God must have a blood sacrifice. 
God has to have an atonement for the covering or the or a covering for man's sins. See, false religion always can bring all this stuff to God, but they'll always take that covering thing, that blood thing, that sacrifice thing, and they'll always move it to the side. That's false religion. So that's exactly what Cain is doing. You see, pride will always tell us that we have something to bring to God. Hey, listen, man, you're a good person. Maybe, yeah, you make mistakes, but, you know, God understands your heart. As long as you're sincere, how many times do we hear that? As long as you're sincere, as long as, you, as, long as you're, you're sincere, God, see, God, and God is standing there saying, no, you are a sinner and I require a blood sacrifice. I require it. Don't, you don't come to me any other way. You come to me with an atonement. You come to me with a covering. See, that type of thinking is at the root of every human religion. But biblical Christianity... And, I'm, and, and, and Pastor Henry's called me about preaching next week, and, I'm, and if nothing changes, I'm probably going to preach on, on this. The, the thing that sets Christianity aside from every other religion is that Christianity, Christianity stands up and plainly declares, you, there's nothing you can bring that's any good. Your sins must be covered and atoned for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. End of story. That's what sets Christianity apart. You see, Mormonism says, wear some special underwear. And you'll be accepted by God. Islam says, pray three times a day and you'll be accepted by God. Jehovah's Witness says, says, knock on the door and you'll be accepted by God. And we could go on and on. But Christianity says there's only one thing that makes you accepted by God. And that is a blood covering for your sins. And that blood covering can only come through one man, and that is His Son, Jesus Christ. That's Christianity in a nutshell. That is sets it apart from every other religion. And see, that's what I believe with all my heart. By faith, Abel heard that, and he believed it, and he walked in it, and Cain blew it off. Just like people have been blowing it off for, for millennia since. Now, I want to say something here that's real important. And I want you to understand something. God, when we first read this story, Cain brings something, Abel brings... It almost seems arbitrary. I know it, there was a time in my life I would have read that and said, well, that don't seem fair. Anybody ever read that and think, you know, that's not really fair? Listen, God, this is not arbitrary. And, and by the way, He doesn't accept Abel's offering because it was His best effort. He doesn't even accept it because Abel has got a humble heart. See, Abel by nature is just as much a sinner as Cain. Don't forget that. By nature, he is just as much a sinner as Cain. See, God accepted it for one reason and on, one reason only, because it was the right sacrifice. And Cain obe- I'm sorry, Abel obeyed and did it in faith, believing that if I bring that blood sacrifice, it is a covering for my sins. That's why God accepted it, and that's why God accepted Abel. You see, it has everything to do with God's just requirement for a blood sacrifice to be the only means of approaching Him. And of course, Cain's worship is unacceptable. Again, he's a religious guy. He, he knows God. He, he, he talks, he's going to talk, actually talk with Him. But see, his worship is unacceptable. So God rejects him, rejects his sacrifice, and of course, because his heart's not right. See, if his heart was right, and God said, Cain, you didn't do the right thing, what would Cain have done? 
oh, let me get it right, God. Let me, he not, he's not interested in that. And I'll look at verse 5. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. You ever seen anybody's face fall? You can tell immediately, man, there's, there, there, there's something wrong here. He's angry, he's depressed. You see, the human heart, I see this all the time in the news now, that there's, a, there's an anger out there that's growing. Have y'all noticed that lately? There's an anger. And, if, and, and, and people used to, you could sit down and talk with them one-on-one and, and talk about God and talk about Jesus, and now they don't want to hear it. There's an anger. See, I, I think there's something about when a righteous man is held up in front of an unrighteous man, it's like holding a mirror up. Does that make sense? It's like holding a mirror up to that person, and that person sees, I'm not like that. I'm not doing those things. And, there, and, and what happens in a prideful heart is anger comes up. Not humility, not contriteness, not, well, I need to go change to be more like, no. It's an anger. It's, and, and, and in fact, it even becomes a, a hatred. So Cain is angry. He's angry at Abel, and he's angry at, at God. So Genesis 4, 6, let's look at that verse. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? Now, we said this before numerous times, and please remember this. God never asks questions to get information. He never asks questions to get information. He asks questions to make that person think. He, he knows. He knows exactly what's happened. He's wanting Cain to think. You see, he, he's wanting, he's saying to Cain, look, Cain, your anger and your foul mood should tell you something about yourself. The reason you're angry, the reason you're depressed is because you didn't do what was right. Deal with this right now. Go and do the right thing and your feelings will, will change. See, he's giving Cain the chance to make it right. Look at verses 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you or contrary to you but you must rule over it. You see, in this context, do well means go back and make the right sacrifice. If you do well, won't you be accepted? If, if you obey what I've told you to do, if you go back and offer that blood sacrifice, you'll be accepted. Everything will be okay between me and you. You'll feel fine. See, he's giving him the opportunity to repent. The word repent means to turn, right? Turn from the wrong way and do it the right way. I want to throw up a quick principle here, and I call it do well to feel well. I, I like what happened here. Cain is angry and depressed because of his sin, and you notice God doesn't come in and say, let's talk about our feelings. Let, let's just sit down. Let's talk about our feelings. No, what God says is act right and you'll feel right. You want to know why you're angry? You want to know why you're depressed? Probably because there's something in your life that don't need to be there. God says it real quickly. Simply act right and you'll feel right. See, the fact is, if you obey God, your feelings will come around. You'll find yourself feeling good. But if you follow your feelings, if you follow your emotions, you'll just be plunged even further into guilt and anger and depression. See, God doesn't tell us to live by feelings. He tells us to live by every word that proceeds from His mouth. He tells us to live by His word and obedience to His word. And if you obey and do well, you'll feel good. We don't counsel people like that much anymore. They don't, well, if we do, they don't, by the way, they don't want to hear it. 
right? They don't want to hear that. Obey God and you'll feel well. Don't obey God and sin is crouching at your door. Listen, God pictures sin here as a wild animal, like a lion, that literally is crouching at the door. And we'll talk about this a little bit later. When something, The idea here is he's crouching at the door, but you can open. The, the door's got Everybody with me? The door has to be up. The door's not open. He's waiting outside. Sin is crouching at the door. It has a desire for you. It wants your blood. It wants to destroy you. It wants to dominate you. It wants to subdue you. But you must master it. See, what he's saying... Now listen to me. God, what he's saying to Cain... Cain, right now, this is all in your mind. This is all in your thoughts. And now you've let it get down into your feelings and your emotions. Deal with it right now. Don't let it become actions. If you let this thing go on, if you don't deal with it while it's in your mind, if you don't deal with them lustful thoughts while they're in your mind, and you let them go, and you let them keep moving, eventually you'll find yourself acting on those things. That's what he's saying to Cain. Deal with it now, Cain. I mean, God has given him every opportunity. You either deal with it now, or you will find yourself in the grip of a monster that you cannot control. See, sin, we said it a few weeks ago, sin, that's what happened to Eve. The serpent comes along and says, did God say? And he gets her thinking. It always starts in the mind. It always starts with thoughts. And what he's telling Cain is deal with it right while it's in your mind. Don't let it go on. I saw a thing a while back. I wrote a note down and put it to the side and I went back and pulled it out. Somebody said one time, wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions which lead to wrong habits. Wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions, which over time will actually become, actually, the Bible calls it practicing sin. You, don't, you practice sin. It becomes a habit. It just becomes who you are. Sin, think of it this way. Sin is like an acorn that falls out in the woods. If you go and pick it up when it's an acorn, even a little baby can do it. If you let it spring up and sprout so it's a plant, it's still, just, it's still pretty easy if you get it early to get it up. But you let that acorn grow and turn into an oak tree, and good luck. Because you can cut that thing down and its roots, you, I don't know if you can ever get it out completely. Get it while it's in your mind, Cain. Take care of it while it's just in your thoughts. You let it go, and it's like an animal that will absolutely eat you up and destroy you. See, that's how sin is if it's allowed to fester and grow. So that's what God is saying. Cain, deal with it now. Deal with it while it's an acorn. Deal with it while it's a thought in your mind. Do not let it go on or it will destroy you. But let me tell you, Cain is not interested at all in mastering his sin. The same, the same Cain who brought a sacrifice to God and couldn't even obey what God had asked him and just said, hey, you'll just have to deal with what I give you. The same Cain who doesn't give his best, the same Cain whose, whose heart has issues, he's not interested in mastering his sin. Verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and he killed him. He spoke to him. Now we don't know what is said. Here's an amazing thing, listen to me, which shows how quickly in one generation sin can harden. Eve had to be talked into her sin. Cain cannot be talked out of it even by God. One generation. Eve literally had to be talked into it, tricked into it by the serpent. 
her first child cannot be talked out of it, even by God himself. That's what sin does in one generation. Now, we don't know what Cain said to Abel. The, the, the gist of the language is that whatever he got him to go out in the field, he spoke nice to him. See, Abel never saw it coming. He had no idea. He just goes out in the field, and the next thing you know, his brother's... We don't know what happened. He bashed him with a rock or he, or he cut his throat. The word killed used here is used throughout the Old Testament. And it's, it's, a, it's a word for intentional murder. There are words in the Hebrew for manslaughter or inadvertent killings. Like two men are fighting and one falls down and hits his head on a rock. That, that would be manslaughter or inadvertent. This, that's not this word. This word is intentionally killed him. You see, sin has now moved from his thoughts... And, it's, and, and it has pounced on him and turned him into, from a hater now into a murderer. Now, why did Cain kill Abel? Why did he do it? Well, we, we, we know he hated him. We, we know he, his righteousness. But the Bible, do you know the Bible actually answers this question in the New Testament? 1 John three twelve. It says this, we should not be like Cain. By the way, if you go back and read this in context, John is talking about loving each other. Go back and read it in context. He's talking about love one another. Love your brother. Love your sister. And he says this, We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Because his own deeds were evil. and his... See, this is a murder that's done out of jealousy. It's a murder that's done out of a feeling of being inferior to somebody else. You see, he hated Abel's righteousness. And instead of turning around and doing right himself, which God said, if you do well, you'll be accepted, he goes and kills the source of his irritation. Instead of, instead of changing myself and doing what's right, I'll just get rid of this thing that's irritating me. I'll get rid of this mirror that keeps showing me how deficient that I am. I said this a few weeks ago, by the way, and we see this in society today. Homosexuality... See, every they, it started out, they just wanted to be accepted, right? And then they want to be married, and now it's completely changed. See, they want everybody to tell them it's okay. Because every person that stands up and says, that's not right, is a mirror. And so if they can just get rid of all these mirrors, if they can get rid of, and if just everybody will tell me okay, then maybe I'll believe it myself. Because deep down inside, they are eaten up with guilt and shame. And they know it's not right, but if they can just get rid of all these people that, and tell me it's okay, well, see, that's Cain. Instead of changing myself, I'll get rid of these mirrors. I'll get rid of this person that holds this up and shows me how deficient that I am. Verse 9, Then the Lord comes to Cain and says, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. And, and of course, then he says one of the most... We still use it today, thousands of years later. Am I my brother's keeper? Once again, we see how sin has progressed in one generation. At least Adam and Eve tried to pass the buck. You remember, if you go back to, to chapter 2, uh, uh, Adam, uh, Eve blames it on the serpent, right? Well, that serpent, he tricked me. And Adam blamed it on who? The woman, the woman that you gave me, God. Adam got double-barreled. He blamed it on her and he blamed it on God. But at least they both ended up saying... I ate. I did it. At least they said, Cain, he won't even go there. I don't know. I don't know where he is. 
I mean, he's, there's, there's nothing in him that, there's not a, a hint of repentance, but I want you to watch his reply. It goes beyond just not admitting his sin. He says, am I my brother's keeper? In other words, ain't none of my business. You made him. You watch out for him. Can you see the arrogance in this man? I mean, he is, his arrogance and his sin is just deep-seated. There is not one hint of being sorry. One hint. He, I mean, he is as arrogant as they come. See, sin started in his mind as a thought. It moved into his feelings and his emotions, envy, inferiority, jealousy. And then it pounced and turned him into a murderer and a liar. And the devastation follows all around him. Abel, a righteous man, I mean, think about, you got this little family, right? The first family, Adam and Eve. You got Cain and Abel. And, and by the way, we'll talk a little bit more next week about this. There's, there's very likely, in fact, I will tell you, there's more children. The Bible's only interested in telling us about Cain and Abel. But there are, there's more children. You've got this family here. Right, and everything's going along. And, and I'm sure Adam and Eve feel like, you know, man, we messed up. But God is still blessing us, right? He's given us children. We, we can see that what he, the, the promise that He's told us to be fruitful and multiply is happening. We're having these children. And they're just like any parent. See, we tend to look back, and I'll talk about this more next week. We tend to look back, at, and we see people in that age as cavemen. Let me tell you, they were smarter stronger, healthier, wiser than you and I have ever even thought about being. They lived 900 years. I mean, there, there's no inferior. They're, they're way smarter, way, way beyond you and I. Sin over time has, has degraded us further and further and further. But they're, they were all, I mean, they're almost perfect. And you telling me they don't feel the pride in their children that we feel? They don't feel the hope and the joy in their families that, that we feel, and even more. And now Abel, a righteous man, lies dead. Adam and Eve are, are I'm sure they're overwhelmed with, with grief. They've lost one son. The other son will be estranged for the rest of his life. I doubt they'll ever see him again. See, sin has done all of that. Every single bit of it. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Listen, in the end, this is where every sinner ends up. Don't care what you've done, every single sinner will end up answering to the judge. And, and it tells us right here at the very beginning, every sin cries to God for justice. Every sin eventually ends up at God's right in front of his throne, waiting on justice. Later on, Psalmist David in that same Psalm 51 will say this, Against you and you only have I sinned. See, David, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He has Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, murdered. He's an adulterer and he's a murderer. And he says, God, he doesn't say I sinned against Uriah or I sinned against Bathsheba. He said, I sinned against you. Every sin, little, big, medium, anywhere in between, overall and foundationally is a sin against God. It cries to God for justice. Look at verse 11 and 12. God pronounces judgment on Cain. And now 
You are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Remember, we started out, Abel was a shepherd, Cain was a what? He was a farmer. You see, God curses him in the area of his, his influence, of his strength. He's a farmer. That's what he does. That's what he's good at. And God says, from now on, you won't do that anymore. You, you, the, the ground is already... You, you already got a lot of problems getting it out of the ground. That was the curse on, on Adam. But he says, yours is going to go further than that. You won't be able to get anything out of the ground. You're going to, be after, you're going to have to be a hunter-gatherer. See, up to this point, you had shepherds and you had farmers. You didn't have people that kind of wandered around just picking berries and, and eating whatever they could, but that's Cain. See, he's going to be forced to be a vagrant and a wanderer. Now, here's a quick question. I want to close with this. Why didn't God kill Cain? Why didn't he kill him? I mean, it just seems to me, he should have just said, man, look, you've, you've taken life, you're, I'm going to end your life right here. That, to us, would have seemed the just thing, but he doesn't do it. And that is really amazing to me, that God didn't just kill him right then and there. See, even here, it shows the mercy of God. Cain gets far, far less than he deserved. And even then he complains. Somebody told me this week, somebody was passing me on to a story about somebody, and they've been living in a, in a rental property. And um, I had to laugh when I heard this because I was thinking about this story. This, this man's living in a rental property. He hadn't paid rent in seven months. Hadn't been able to come up with the rent, and the, and the, the, the uh, homeowner is just letting them go on and on and on. And then after about seven months, uh, the renter called the homeowner one day and said, Man, I ain't got no hot water. Can you get over here and fix the hot water? And finally, the, the homeowner said, All right, that's it, you're out. Right? I mean, after all of that, they still had to complain they didn't have any hot water. You see, Cain was the same way. God should have killed him on the spot, and he didn't. And even then, Cain, he's so arrogant. All he can do is just whine and complain. Look at verses 13 to 14. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, next week we'll talk about the whoever is. You'll hear people say from time to time, Oh, well, there must have been people out there. No, there wasn't any people out there. I'll tell you next week who he was scared of was his family. Who he was scared of is his family. Because who do you think wants to avenge Abel's death? It's your family. It's always been that way. That's who he's going to be scared of. And we'll talk about that a little more next week. And that's just like a sinful man, right? Somebody gives and gives and gives and shows mercy and mercy and mercy, and then all of a sudden, you know, they pass judgment and you're like, God's not fair. God's not fair. See, he's filled with self-pity, he's filled with fear that, that somebody's going to kill him, and he just whines and complains. Look at verse 15. And the Lord said to him, not so. I mean, God, this is an amazing thing. God says, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. God, listen, if you ever have any doubt about his character about who He is, how merciful and kind and forgiving and loving He is. Look at Cain. Cain has no repentance. He, he's, there's not a hint of regret. 
He's arrogant. He's not sorry. He's just murdered his own brother, the worst crime that you can absolutely commit. And God says, all right, get out of here, but I'm going I'm to let you live. And Cain says, no, somebody will kill me. And God says, no, I'm going to put a mark on you. And anybody that sees that mark will know that they can't do that. Listen, we don't know what that mark is. Anybody that tells you you know what, they, what the mark is, they don't know what they're talking about. And there's nothing in the Bible that says anything about the mark or what the mark was. We don't know what it was, okay? It was just a means to protect him. That's all the Bible is worried about us knowing. Now, why would God do that? You know, I, I could see letting him live, but hey, go out there. You, you want to live by the sword? Then go die by the sword. That's the way you want to live your life? Go. But God doesn't do that. God says, no, I'm going to put a mark on you, and anybody attacks you. Well, see, there's two reasons he does this, and I want to say this real quick. I have been astounded over the past three months. As I read from Genesis, and, I, and, I, and I'm, as I'm studying Genesis, I move forward and I start reading. The Bible is, nothing changes. Nothing changes. The God of Genesis is the God of Revelation. He didn't all of a sudden in the New Testament change. He's always been merciful. He's always been kind. He's always been forgiving. I'll give you an example. One of the reasons he put a mark on Cain is because vengeance always belongs to the Lord, not to somebody else. In Deuteronomy 32, 35, he says, to me belongs vengeance and recompense. That, that belongs to me, God said in the Old Testament. Not, it's not some man to decide that. Um, I got the wrong scripture there, but in the New Testament it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. See, Old Testament, New Testament. That's one of the reasons he put a mark on Cain, because vengeance belongs to God. Not, it's not for somebody else to pull out. But the second reason he did it, look at verse Romans 2, 4. It says this, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to what? Repentance. He's still giving Cain a chance. He's still giving Cain an opportunity. He's being kind to him. He's being merciful to him. Why? And so that it would somehow lead him to repentance. In spite of his arrogance, in spite of his sin, God has still given him every chance to turn and do the right thing. Verse 16, Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and he settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Listen, at the end of the day, this is the... Result, the finale of every unbeliever, they will go away from the presence of the Lord. And by the way, it's God's judgment, but it's also His choice. It's God's judgment, but it's His choice. He is turning His back on God. He goes away from the presence of the Lord. He had every opportunity to do the right thing, but He doesn't. He wants to do it His way. He's a man of great promise. He, he starts out, and I'm sure Eve looked in his eyes and thought, this is Him. This is the male child that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. And he ends up as this estranged, fearful, guilt-ridden vagabond roaming around. You see, sin has destroyed his family. He's got a brother dead. He's got a mother and father who are, who are grieving, who've lost both their sons. But I want you to see, and we'll see this next week, the devastation is not over. We said this a few weeks ago when we started talking about Eve. Sin... Every sin. See, we, sit, we hear this today. Well, it's two people in a bedroom. They're doing what they want to do. They're not hurting anybody else. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. 
This idea that somehow sin doesn't have any effects outside of you is baloney. Sin always affects your relationships with other people. And sin destroys his family. And, and as he leaves and goes out, and he starts a family of his own, we're going to see that as we move down, Cain's arrogance and his sinful ways it will be learned by his son and his grandson and his great-grandson and his great-grandson right on down the line. We'll see that his descendants will learn his arrogant and violent ways. Let's pray. Father.